Tonight I want to just talk about something that encourages me, and that is in Deuteronomy 31.8, and this is the title of my message, Before He is Before Thee, He Goes Before Us, He is With Us, and He is For Us. And you know, when you know that God is on your side, it makes a difference, especially if you've sinned, especially if you've had a down day, or if, especially if you're under the attack of the devil, or you, you, you know, got into it with your family or spouse, or, uh, and, and you've had a negative season, or you lost your job, or, or you just know that you haven't been living for God, and you're backslidden a little bit, or like I said, just sin, and you need it, because it's real easy to come under condemnation. How many of you know condemnation always wants to show up? And you know, when you look at the, the, uh, the woman at the, caught in adultery, there, there is uh, conviction, correction, and condemnation, three different things. And I've taught on this before. Uh, Jesus brought conviction to those people. And uh, he tried to bring condemnation on the woman who was caught in adultery. Y'all remember that story? The woman caught in adultery. And Pharisees, they like to bring condemnation. Well, we're not into condemnation. And... You know, Jesus brings correction. How many of you know he said, go and sin no more? Then he drew something in the sand that I think was a little bit corrective for those Pharisee guys because they all of a sudden, they all shut their mouth and left. And then, you know, there is a time for conviction and then, you know, correction. So, you know, he brings, his very presence and what he says brought conviction. And the woman had a repented heart. And so she had this experience with Jesus, or the experience with the Pharisees was condemnation. The experience with Jesus uh, was conviction. And then after that, there should always be correction because conviction without correction is just another accident waiting to happen. Can I get an amen? You know, if you, if you don't get some correction with your conviction... Uh, you'll fall right back into the same thing over and over again, even though you get real convicted for it. But you got to not just have inspiration or conviction, but you're going to have to have some information and correction. Everybody get that tonight? So we balance things out. And tonight is really good because it's some very encouraging things, but then the children of Israel were really a naughty bunch just amazing how they operated and i want to start there and we're going to you know in hebrews it says that we've got a better covenant upon better promises aren't you glad that even though god could be with them in the covenant uh, and he's with us but now he's in us amen? amen it's better to have god in you than just with you and we've got a better covenant we, we aren't just trying to get healed we are the healed and we choose to maintain our status can i get an amen we have divine healing, we have divine health, excuse me, not just healing. Everybody say this, I have divine health, not just healing. God calls us to a life of divine health. And it says, you know, the soundness of your spirit is the life of the flesh. It starts from the inside out. Medicine starts from the outside in, but God starts from the inside out. And I'll tell you what, I'd rather have God's medicine than, than uh, any other kind of medicine. I'm, I just need to get a drink of water, forgive me. So we are people who work from the inside out, not the outside in. For our 
healing, but we are the healed of the Lord because it says, by his stripes, you were healed. And that's not just spiritually. You know, I, I didn't get healed to go to heaven. I got recreated and born again, and I'm a new create creature. You know, it isn't like the chair that you had to fix and get it healed up. You know, you can take a chair and refurbish it. You can take a chair that's busted and fix it. Uh, and how many know that that's totally different than getting a new chair? If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Not old things are fixed up to made good enough. No, they're passed away. And by your stripes, by his stripes where you're healed, is not talking about our spiritual condition. And it's talking about our spirit, and that wouldn't even really apply. It's talking about our physical bodies. How do we know that? Because what Matthew eight seventeen says, it says, When evening was come, they brought unto him many who were oppressed with the devil, many who had devils. And he cast the spirits out with his word and healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled by that which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bear our sicknesses. Well, if he bore our sicknesses, why would we bear them? You know, it says that, and he's quoting Isaiah 53, 4, where it says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted, but he was bruised for our iniquities. He was wounded for our iniquities and bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. So we need to understand that God is our healer. And he has given us divine health. Now, sometimes we get out of divine health, don't we? And then we need to call upon healing. And he's that, too. So either way we go, uh, God is for us. He's not against us. Amen. Well, are you there in Deuteronomy 31? I don't know. Did I already say Deuteronomy 31? And we're over there at verse 8. I'll begin reading right there. And the Lord, he is, I like this. And the Lord, he it is that doth go before thee. I like that, that the Lord goes before me. He goes there, you know, it's kind of like, you know, Father Nash. uh, He was the great prayer warrior for Charles Finney. He would go there weeks in advance and pray and pray and pray night and day and fast. And by the time Charles Finney got there to preach, the people were already repenting. They were already coming out in the street, crying out. When Charles Finney walked into town, they would be crying out and falling on the ground and, and repenting and calling out on, to God and all these things. But our God goes before us. We don't have to just show up and things aren't ready for us. And, that, and there's a different ways in which that happens. I believe that. So we're going to look at several things in that verse. Let's read the rest of the verse. Then we're going to go back. We're going to break it down into three major categories, what I see in this verse. It says, And the Lord, he it is that doth go before thee. Then the next thing, he will be with thee. Praise God, we don't have to go through anything alone in this life. Then the last one is, he will not fail thee, neither forsake thee. And I'm just going to say, there's an easier way to say that, that he is for thee. Because if he he wasn't for thee, you know, he would fail and forsake thee. But he will not fail thee, neither forsake thee. So fear not, neither be dismayed. And yeah, I don't know what you might be going through. I don't know what, you know, your feelings are, you know, when we look in our world today. And, you know, ISIS is infiltrating America. There's Al-Qaeda camps in every state. Uh, you know, 60,000 refugees uh, go into Nashville, and they're all Muslim. Now, uh, you know, we've got 
it's up to, it, right now, it's sitting at 60,000 Christians have been killed by ISIS. 60,000 people. You don't hear a word about it in the news. And the Syrian Christians are crying out and pleading and running for their life and crying for somebody to give them asylum of some kind. They're crying out to America. They're applying. They're going through all the channels to try to become official uh, refugees to the United States. And every one of them is being denied. Of course, our government doesn't want anybody to know what's going on over there. We wouldn't want a whole bunch of those Syrian Christians coming in and telling about the 60,000 Christians had their head chopped off. That might make somebody look bad because they're not doing anything about it. It's a very bad situation. And yet 60,000 Muslims got refugee status just in the city of Nashville. This has happened all over cities all over America. 60,000. Same number as Christians have been killed, martyred. They're given... They're put on the welfare roll, so you and I have to pay for that. Not only that, but they're giving a path to voting status and citizenship. They're given grants to build their mosques and their youth camps, which are really ISIS training camps. But you won't hear that in the news now, will you? But we know Bethany Blankley and people who know FBI insiders, former Special Forces insiders, People have retired from the CIA, the FBI, the Special Forces, the Navy SEALs, and they formed a coalition, and they're a think tank, so to speak, and they're noticing all this stuff going on and nobody talking about it. So they're disseminating that information out to reliable sources to get it out to the public because it's not happening. Nobody's talking about it. But see, we're living in a day where if you know very much, if you're in the know, you could be quite worried about things. Can I get an Amen. You could be quite bothered by the fact that we just signed on a, a contract, we just signed on to an agreement with Iran that if war breaks out between Israel and Iran, we're going to side with Iran. How many of you are a little bothered by that? Well, hopefully somebody is. You know, I don't like it when Christians are big ignoramuses about what's going on in the world. I think that's a very, very bad witness. It really... Is very much of self being self-absorbed and not caring about other people in the world and what's going on around uh, us. And I don't think Christians are supposed to be like that. I think that we should be uh, trying to make a way to help those refugees, feed them, and take care of them. You know, the Bible says that God will destroy all nations. I will destroy all nations that come against Jerusalem. He says, "I will destroy all those who seek." to come against Jerusalem. I will destroy them. And we just signed a pact. War breaks out. We are going to be fighting against them. We will be killing Israelis. See, that's what I'm saying. We're part of two holocausts, the killing of babies, and your money and my tax money pay for it. That makes us partners with murder. There is a plan to annihilate Israel. And when we send 54 million dollars every two weeks in cash to Iran. That makes us partners in the annihilation or holocaust of Israel. It's a troubling time, and you could, we could be in prayer. But praise God, if you're a believer, and you are not uh, part of that, and your heart is right, and you refuse uh, to, to sign on with that, God is going before us. God is with us, and God is for us. Can I get an Amen. 
And whatever happens, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty, and I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge, my fortress, and my God, and in Him will I trust. And though 10,000 fall at my left hand, and and 1,000 at my left hand, and 10,000 at my right, it'll not come nigh unto me, because the angels of God are camped round about me. See, it's all if you keep your heart right before the Lord. But anyway, Matthew 6, it says, you know, one of the ways that the Lord goes before us is in prayer. It says, he knows what we have need of before we even ask. How many of you are glad that God knows what we have need of? Amen. Before we ever ask it. And, you know, that's, that's, that's kind of interesting because, you know, uh, we, we, we've got a God who can show us and pray, show us what to pray through the word, through the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Pray this promise. Pray this direction. Pray, you know, sometimes you need to pray the prayer of faith. Sometimes you need to pray the prayer of consecration. Sometimes you need the prayer of agreement. Sometimes you need the prayer of intercession. Sometimes you need the prayer of praying in tongues. And you, I could go on. There's about nine different categories of prayer that God can show you to pray that way. Because he, he knows what you have need of. Now, do we know? The Bible says we don't. The Bible says in Romans 8, 26, it says, For we know not how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. But he that knows the mind of the Spirit, praise God, God knows the mind of the Spirit, who knows all things. He makes intercession for us with groanings, it says. He that knows the mind of the Spirit makes intercession for the saints according to, everybody say this with me, according to the what? The will of God. We don't know how to pray as we ought, but thank God the Spirit helps our infirmities. And that isn't sickness, that just means shortcoming or inability. And he takes together, he takes hold together with us to move, you know, the situation. And he comes along and prays in us. 1 Corinthians 14, 14, if I pray... In an unknown tongue, my spirit, if I speak in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth. Amplified says, my spirit by the Holy Spirit prayeth. I just thank God I can get prayed out there way out in advance. Schroeder always says, he says, the Lord showed him, you know, one time to get behind in prayer. And if you can get behind in prayer, you can get ahead in prayer. And get out there, you know, I can remember things that I prayed about, and I kid you not, uh, you know, and, you know, we don't know what we're praying for. It says, and I like, I like that verse in 1 Corinthians 14, too. just comes to mind. He who prays in unto tongues speaks not unto men, but unto God. For no man understands how, be it in the Spirit, he speaks secrets or divine mysteries. We can, sp- we can pray out the divine mysteries that we know not what to pray for. As well. But praise God, God knows what we have need of before we ask. And thank God we, he can make it so we can pray, because the Bible says, if you ask not, you have not. So you got to pray, but you don't know how. But you got to pray, because if you ask not, you'll have not, but you don't know how. Well, God's got the solution. He can pray through you by the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues. Thank God for that. We'd be up a creek without a paddle. We'd be in trouble. Because it ain't going to happen if we don't pray. But we don't know how, but God made a way. That's a good deal. We can pray out, way out in advance. You know, I remember praying for different things. I remember as a senior at Oral Roberts University with a bunch of my buddies, a bunch of guys in theology. We, we pray together all the time. 
Yeah, I don't know if young people do that anymore. We'd go in and we'd start praying at 12 o'clock at night because you know how college students are. They don't, they don't wake up till 12 o'clock at night. Everybody else is going to bed. We're just waking up. We're just getting our second wind. Caffeine's kicking in. We're ready to party, you know. And our idea of partying was praying. Talking the word. I mean, we were, we were like theological misfit, you know, in the world, but we wouldn't fit in very good. But we, the thing we liked, we liked praying together. We liked studying the word together. I remember praying from 12 o'clock midnight to 8 o'clock the next morning in tongues. And the Lord, immediately, the spirit of prophecy came into that room, and there was prophetic utterances. One of them was there'll come a time where the political leaders of our nation will throw their hands up in the air, because they'll know not what to do, and they'll have no answers or solutions, and I will raise up men of God to guide them and to lead them. If you've always wondered why I'm so political in, in the, I'm so interested in the political, is because God, there's a mandate on my life to speak into people's lives that are in politics. And you can go through the Bible, and the king represents the politician, and the prophet represents the preacher, and not one time does the politician or the king ever give advice and counsel to the prophet or the preacher. But the prophet-preacher man always gives counsel to the king throughout the whole Bible. You check it out for yourself, and you'll find that to be true. And there aren't very many preachers speaking into anybody's lives these days of significant influence. You know, I, if I got to talk to somebody, if I got to get somebody turned and doing something for God, I'd rather it be a person that's going to influence thousands of people in my taxes <laughs> And somebody, nothing against this, that, that we're, you know, they're big as, they, they sit on the corner and pick their nose. That's fine. I want them saved too. But if I'm going to influence somebody, I want to influence somebody that's going to have some influence. We want to influence everybody because that guy picking his nose on the corner might be the next president. You never know. Probably do a better job than some of them. Pardon my crudeness. But anyway, you know, our praying in advance is powerful. God goes before us in our prayers. How many of you believe? God is in the, God is, inhabits eternity and he's out there in our future doing things. You know, we prayed we'd have four kids. Two of them be girls and two of them be boys. You know what? We had four kids. Two of them are girls and two of them are boys. We prayed out our future. I remember the Lord showed me, you're going to go, uh, first thing you're going to do, you know, when you get done, I was praying on my knees one day. My buddy called me from Michigan. And he says, and I've been praying about money, ministry, and marriage. He says, I've been praying for you for two weeks. And he says, you might as well quit praying about it because I know that's what you're praying about because God's having me pray. And everything is answered, and God says everything concerning money, ministry, and marriage is answered. It's done. It's already taken care of in prayer. I about fell off the chair because I had just, the phone call got me off my knees, and I was on my knees praying about those three things. God wants to get out there and get your future settled before you arrive on the scene in prayer. And, you know, you can do that. You know, Psalms... uh, 68, it talks about how, uh, you know, the Lord is encompassed about with thousands and thousands and ten thousands of angels are compassed round about him. How many of you know in the spiritual realm, God's a big deal and everybody knows when he's coming to town? Here comes the presidential entourage. The, the thousands of angels are starting to show up. And then finally, the Lord shows up. I believe that. And I believe just like the 
security gets to town. You know, we had President Obama come to town, and the security was here days in advance checking everything out. Do you know that they will? They look up online. They they go into the uh, to all the records, and they look for anybody who has a 50 caliber rifle, and they locate where they're at when the president comes to town. So if you ever bought a 50 caliber rifle, you're on a list. You might not have known that, but that's a fact. And, and they're getting there ahead of time to make sure everything's going to go right. See, our prayers gets the angels there ahead of time going to make sure everything's going to go right. Amen. Another way is in the prophetic world. John 16, 13, he says, he'll show you things to come. The Lord goes before us. How many of you want to know things before they happen instead of after they happen? You know, it's like the person who prays at night instead of the morning. You know, how would you, how would you like to go to work, ha- have an employee that shows up at work every day, sits around until two minutes before uh, your work day is over and say, hey, boss, you got anything for me? No, I want the employee, the minute he steps on the property, say, uh, boss, what do you have for me today? What do you want me to do? Because, you know, if you wait till the end of the day, it's too late to get your assignment to do what you're supposed to do. Can I get an amen? There's all kinds of Christians. They don't pray in the morning. They don't seek the Lord early in the morning like the Bible tells us to. They don't seek him first above all things. They don't get the instructions for the day. They get, after the day's over, they go to him and say, well, Lord, I'm just going to pray. And, and what, what do you have? You know, I'd rather be ahead. I'd rather show up and have the prophetic. He'll show you things to come. He'll give you the assignments. He'll tell you what to do in advance. He wants you to know before, not after. The ant is extolled because the ant is always one season ahead. How many of you have read about the ant in the book of Proverbs? He says he's always planting, he's staying ahead, so that when harvest season comes, he always stays ahead of the game. You should always stay one season, spiritually speaking, ahead of the game. Can I get an amen? You ought to be knowing what's going on this fall. Is this Shemitah thing for real? Is there going to be a financial collapse? Is there going to be an attack on America? Is there going to be all these things that all the blogs are going wild and all the prophetic websites are going wild talking about? Or is that just a bunch of crazy stuff? Or, or, or do you, should we know what's coming? Can I get an amen? The Bible says the Holy Spirit will show you things to come. I want to know things to come, not after they happen. I don't want to be a day late and a dollar short and everything. We should know things to come. The Lord went ahead of Paul, the apostle. Turn with me to Acts 6 chapter. Everybody said, the Lord goes ahead for me. He checks things out. Say it with me. He checks everything out. He makes it safe. He makes sure I'm going to the right place. You know, you can go to the wrong place at the wrong time and lose your life. I know one minister, Brother Hagen, talks about he had three car accidents, and he said, you know, Brother Hagen, the Lord warned me each three of those times, and I didn't pay attention. And I look back, and every single time I got in those car accidents, the Lord was trying to save me, and I wasn't paying attention. How many of the Lord will know what's going ahead, and he'll show you things to come, if you're paying attention? A lot of people live in Stupid Street. I was just, you know, going out, you know, just go out and do life. Or we can be steps of a righteous man or ordered of the Lord. I'd rather have my steps ordered of the Lord than just running out into life and then after I got ran over by the truck saying, Lord, what do you have for me today? 
<laughs> That's literally how some people live their life. It's almost unbelievable. Now, look what the Apostle Paul said. Now, when we're in, excuse me, Acts 16 and 6. Now, when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to go preach the word in Asia. Well, some people say, well, bless God, those Asians, they need the gospel too. We're going to go there because the Bible says go into all the world. Let's just go. Let's just go do it. Well, no, the Lord told them, don't, don't go there. They're not ready there. It isn't ripe there. Go where the harvest is ripe. The laborers are few and the harvest is ripe. Don't go over here where the harvest isn't ripe and then the ripe harvest over here rots. Don't go running out in your own, in your own understanding. And then verse 7 says, And after they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. He says, don't go there either. And they, passing by Mysia, came to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night, and there stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. He goes before us prophetically and shows us things to come. Praise God, Jonah. There was a whale that took off from one side of the ocean just in time to get to that boat when they were, put, when they were getting rid of Jonah and pushing him off the boat on the other side of the ocean. How many of you know whale delivery services are rare? It's only happened one other time to a man in England in the 1700s. And I, was just, I think it's just to prove to the modern world it really can happen. And it did happen. You know, if you studied out, there was a man in England in the 1700s got swallowed by a whale and then regurgitated. That's a pleasant thought, isn't it? The Lord went ahead and directed that whale to the place. Can I get an Amen. Or he directed the boat to the, where the whale was. I don't know which got directed. And, uh, and isn't it interesting that he sent him to Nineveh where the Assyrians were, which just happened to be a culture whose main pagan deity was a whale. So when Jonah shows up and this big whale comes up on shore, it goes, Bleh, and burps, and, and Jonah steps out. They go, oh, we're all going to repent. That's the God he brought the prophet. And you know, it's how, you know, Nineveh is a wicked Assyrians. They loved killing people for fun. They used to put them on long poles and split your body and watch it go in one side and come out your mouth. And I mean, these were nasty people. And they immediately repented. You think that's just because Jonah said the right thing? That whale thing is what sealed the deal. They worshiped whales. And when a whale comes and, brings and delivers a guy, and they've never seen anybody go in, come out of a male's mouth. They probably saw a few people get swallowed up by whales, but they never seen anybody come out of a whale's mouth. Of course they were going to repent. You'd be crazy not to if you worshiped whales. And somebody comes up and does that. I mean, geez. God goes before us. Can I get an amen? He'll be with thee. And, you know, the next thing, you know, in Deuteronomy, it says, he will be with thee. In John 14, 17, he says, he is with thee and he will be in thee one day. You know, Jesus was speaking to spiritually non-born-again people when he spoke to the Jews. Nobody's born again yet. Nobody had the Holy Spirit in them. The Holy Spirit just rested upon the prophet, the priest, and the king. And you had to go to them and get a word from the prophet. You didn't hear the voice on the inward man where the Holy Spirit lives in your spirit and speaks to you. 
So when John spoke, he said, when, he's quoting Jesus. When Jesus spoke, he said, the Spirit is with you, Old Testament people. But now New Testament people, he's going to be in you. And better yet, in Acts 1.8, he says, and he... And the Spirit shall be upon you and anoint you with power. And you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come. What? Upon you. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel. And the dove descended upon Jesus in the form of a dove, or the Spirit did. And so we, we know that there is three relationships that the Holy Spirit, he can be with us, he can be in us, and he can rest upon us for empowerment. In, one in us for inward regeneration, and... One upon us for outward demonstration. Not inward regeneration, but outward demonstration of the power of God to be a witness so that people will get saved and know that that power on the outside testifies to an internal power that changes your heart. Can I get an amen? amen? So that's very powerful stuff. And he says there, and we're back, okay, turn back, going back to Deuteronomy. We're still on that same verse. We haven't left that verse. He goes from saying, he will go before thee, and he will be with thee. What's the power of being with us? Well, in the New Testament, him being with us is really him being in us and upon us. Well, that takes me straight to the verse in John, 1 John 4, 4, where it says, greater is he that is in me, everybody say in me, than he that is in the world. That's why we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. Because greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Greater is he that was with Joshua than the five kings that came against Joshua. Can I get an amen? Greater is he that was in David than he that was in Goliath. Can I get an amen? Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. We need to have a God in me, God upon me consciousness if we're going to be victorious in this world. And we got to in him live and move and have our being. So as we see this, God is with. And so that's God's presence. Well, there's a lot of benefits to God's presence. How many of you know the Bible says in his presence is fullness of joy? And the joy of the Lord is your strength. See, in his presence is full. Turn your neighbor and say, in his presence will change your face. To be filled with joy. See, you guys tell people that aren't in God's presence very much said, a nice smiles. Because in his presence is fullness of joy. Yeah, I've been in God's presence. You know, you think, no, you haven't. Quit lying. We need to be in God's presence. Amen? I remember when I was 20 years old, right before I got saved. And that's the way I looked. I remember sitting with my mom saying, I don't know what I'm going to major in. I'm getting so I just... Don't have a clue. Yeah, I've tried business. I've tried, you know, this major, education. Tried numerous different majors. I mean, I was looking for underwater basket weaving or something. I don't know, anything. <laughs> Just so you get a degree and get this over with. I was lost. I was clueless. I was unhappy. And my mom said, well, I'm going to have to pray for you. Just tonight something's going to happen. That night I went up, back up to school. I was a, you know, go home on the weekends, guys, because I wasn't real happy. And went back up there. Two guys came to the door, witnessed to me. I got saved in the dorm room and came back, got baptized in the Holy Spirit. I went from depression to total joy. And I wasn't bipolar either. 
I was a normal person. I just was very unhappy, very unfulfilled, very lost, very undirected with my life. And anything I can't stand is I need a plan and I need order. Disorder is pure punishment and torture to me. So I wanted some order. I wanted some direction. I wanted to know what my life was supposed to be about. And I was very unhappy because I didn't know. I was always able to conquer anything I did. And this finding out what I'm supposed to do with my life, I was getting conquered instead of conquering it. But God brought me direction. He brought me joy, unspeakable and full of glory. And it was awesome. So, you know, I believe this. Uh, There is protection, too. He is with us. Psalms 91 starts out. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High. What's the secret place of the Most High? That's in his presence. Can I get an amen? amen? And then it goes on all through Psalms 91. It tells us how, you know, a thousand fall or left, ten thousand are right, and will not come near us. It gives his angels charge of us. No evil thing shall befall thee. And it just goes on and on and on. And it talks about that he protects us. Psalms, you know, we have fullness of joy. And as we can look at that, we can see that there's so many different things. I like these scriptures about his protection. Turn with me to Psalm, excuse me, Isaiah 41. Isaiah 41 is really, and then also Isaiah 43. Isaiah 41 and 43. Brother Chris always quotes these a lot. And uh, we, we, we've just talked about these. Fear not, for I am with thee. Be thou not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. I will help thee. I will uphold thee at the right hand of my righteousness. I like that verse. Another verse I like is Isaiah 43. It says, when thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. See, it says he goes before us and he is with us. I will be with thee and through the rivers, they will not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. Why? Because God is with thee. God, when Nebuchadnezzar threw those three Hebrew boys into the fiery furnace, and he looked in there, and it, the fire couldn't do anything. And you know what? He says, I threw three in there, but I see four dancing around, and the one looks like the Son of God. I mean, the fire couldn't hurt him as long as Jesus was with him. The fire hurt the guys that threw him in and killed him. The guys that threw him into the fiery furnace for not bowing down to the golden idol that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, they got torched. But the three Hebrew children, which they'd have been torched too, but the Lord is with them. He says, I will be with thee in the water. I'll be with thee in the fire. You know, I believe that God is with old Jonah in the water. He sent that whale. I believe that God was obviously with the three Hebrew children in the fire, and it couldn't touch them. You know, God's with you. And if God is for you, who can be against you? Can I get an amen? amen? I remember one time I was in junior college. I pulled in the parking lot. It was about 20 below windshield factory. We had an ice storm. It was horrible. And as a college student, I was, you know, I was running late for class. I was in a hurry. You know, college students wait till the last minute to do everything. Then they try to do it all. And I was driving down the different aisles of the parking lot real quickly, looking, and there was no parking place. And I can remember driving really faster than I should, on pure ice, in a parking lot where they can't see you coming. How I many you know that's a recipe for disaster? And all of a sudden, I'm coming up, and oh, no, a car pulled out right in front of me. 
and I couldn't stop. And all I remember is my front end just going like boom and getting moved over at probably about four foot. And I thought, oh, he hit me. And I thought, no, because he isn't even close to the car. And it dawned on me, some type of divine angelic force moved my car. Because the guy pulling out just waved at me. Now, if I would have hit him, he wouldn't have waved at me. Maybe the one finger wave, but it wouldn't have been, you know, it wouldn't have been a friendly wave, I guarantee. The road rage wave. How many have ever had one of those before? Sign language. You know. I remember one time I was out shooting my 44 Magnum. You know, back in the 70s, it was cool to have a 44 Magnum, a Smith & Wesson model, 29, 6-inch, 44 Magnum, like Dirty Harry. So you could say, make my day. Anybody remember that movie? Only the really old people remember that movie. I had a 44 Magnum. I used to go out shooting all the time alone. And I remember shooting on the farm, and there's this big old oil filter. My dad threw them in a barrel, and I'd take that stuff out and shoot. I'd shoot everything. I just wanted to see if it would go through it. And I remember I got up too close. I was about three feet away from it. I'm going to see if it's going through the bottom of that. That's heat-treated metal. It goes on the you know, base of the engine, and it's supposed to be really strong metal. I bet this can go through it. I'll never forget, like, I felt like somebody lit a match on my head. I go, what was that? Ah, that was really hot. I thought it was a... And then, then about three minutes, about th- three seconds later, I, I realized that was the bullet. That parted my hair, literally. God be with thee. He is, as you know, a, 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 a what in shield? I forget what does that say? He's a sword and shield. Whew. For you, who can be against you? I mean, if God's with you, you know, if God's with you, 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 can, and you can do a lot of stupid things, and I wouldn't suggest doing them. And... He saved me. You know, I could be, I could be the writer of, of Isaiah. On the ice, he was with me. With the 44 mag, he was with me. Yeah. Wow. If God be for us, who can be against us? And God, in that last one, let's go back to Deuteronomy. We're on that third realm. He will not fail thee, neither forsake thee. Fear not. Neither be dismayed. Fear not. Neither be dismayed. Why? He will not fail thee. Neither will he forsake thee. Those are good words, amen? Amen. You know, I remember I was a senior and I'd gone through ORU and I transferred halfway through and I can remember... A lot of you know these stories, but it's good to have stories that really illustrate. And I remember I was out of money, I was out of student loans, and I was out of you know energy to keep going to school. I borrowed the maximum amount, and I still did not have enough because I kind of jumped around and lost some some ground. And, and by the time I was going to graduate, you know, I had changed schools twice. Because that's when I got saved and I left you and I, and I just walked away from school because I just felt like God said, leave now. And I did, and my whole life changed to the better. I was in the wrong place. How many of you know in the wrong place you're not going to make one ounce of progress in God? 
You might as well just leave now. Don't stay there and get further off course. And then reconsider. And it's kind of like when it's time to leave Sodom and Gomorrah, go now. Don't argue with your father-in-law. Don't look back, wife. Get out now. I left. And, you know, it was just that time in my life I needed, uh, you know, to make it through. And God kind of started me up again, went to junior college, transferred to ORU, finished up. And here it was. I got to do my senior paper over. I got one more, you know, German class to take. And I need a whole other year of German or any foreign language. But German is what I took. And... So I had to go in and petition. And the lady, when I wrote the petition, she read it. I submitted it to her, and she says, Ha! Nobody gets to be petitioned and opt out of a whole year of language and graduate? Are you kidding me? Like, stupid kid, just, just don't even submit that. And I knew the Lord had told me to. And I says, well, I'm just going to give it a try. I want to tell her, and... And why don't you mind your own business? And uh, so, I, you know, I submitted it. And she says, well, I'll do it. But she, I, I tell you right now, it's not going to happen. They just don't do that. The Board of Trustees are the ones that have to decide that. And they're not going to just let you because uh, you, you don't want to take it. It's like, I don't have money. My, you know, it was the 80s. My dad was a farmer. Things were not easy. It was a terrible, difficult time. And so anyway, and, uh, you know, a couple weeks later, I got a notice to go in, but it was back. And they had met, and the verdict was decided, and the document was on this lady's desk. And I came in, and she wouldn't even look at me. <laughs> she was mad that it got accepted. I mean, you know, not everybody will rejoice with your victories. God be with you, God before you, who can be against you? Now we're talking about God is for us, not just with us, but he's for us. Everybody say, he's for us. He won't forsake us. You know, David didn't forsake Daniel in the lion's den. He didn't forsake David against Goliath. He didn't forsake the children of Israel at the Red Sea. He didn't forsake Jehoshaphat. You know, greater is he that's in us. We need a God that is with us. And we need a God who is for us, and we have that. You know, God's not your problem. He's the answer to your problem is what I always say. And he'll never forsake you. Genesis 6 chapter. God did not forsake or fail Noah. How many of you know over 120 years that he might, he might have thought a few times, well, God, God, has, God has failed in this. God has forsaken me. Why am I still building this ark after 120 years? Why am I preaching and nobody's getting saved for 120 years? You know, if I go one service and there's not, if I go two services and there's not anybody, if I, if I go three services, I feel like, God, where are you? There's nobody getting saved. What's going on? You know, I don't like it when people aren't saved or, or getting rededicated or, or things aren't happening and, or something wonderful. You know, I don't, you know, but to go 120 years building an ark, and preaching, and nothing happens? How many of you know that would be really hard? You could think God forsook you. You could really feel like, God, where are you in this? How many of you know 
that he'll never leave you nor forsake you. That's what it says. Now, he, he, you know, you could have thought, well, you know, if you're Noah, wow. Habakkuk says, I'll sit in my watch and I'll see what he'll say unto me and I'll write the vision down and make it plain upon tables that he that, runneth, he that readeth it may run with it. And he says, yea, though the vision tarry, it shall not tarry, but he shall surely bring it to pass. It says, you have need of patience. And it's by, be imitators of those who by faith and patience inherit the promises. Can I get an amen? amen. Sometimes we just need to have patience. It isn't, God is failing us. Our patience is failing us. God isn't failing us. Our patience fails us many times. It's the bridge that elongates the beginning of faith to faith's finish line. Can I get an amen? You've got to have enough patience and keep the, tur- the switch of faith turned on all the way past the finish line. Amen. Daniel did not get forsaken in the lion's den. The Hebrew children didn't get forsaken in the furnace, even though they probably felt like, God, are you forsaken? You can show up any time now. You know, I can imagine sitting there across from all those lions looking at me as they're licking their mouth, you know, licking their chops and looking at you in a way like, you know, this guy is a, you know, a McDonald's Happy Meal for us, you know. And uh, I could think, you know, God, God what, why am I in here? You know, what, what are you doing? You know, you should have saved me before you threw me in the lion's den instead of afterwards. And so, you know, we always have a way that we think, God is supposed to do it. Jesus never leaves us. Deuteronomy 31, 7 through 22. Now we're going to read something very strange about this. It almost looks, you know, if you were an atheist and you were a naysayer and you were a gainsayer and you were a skeptic, you could almost say the Bible contradicts itself because look what it says next. Look what it says. Because, you, you know, you just read, Pastor Bill, that that God, he goes before us, that he is with us, and that he'll not fail us or forsake us. But then you begin to read, and you read down into the chapter, and you begin to see these things. And in 7 and 13, and you can read where it says, And Moses commanded them, saying, At the end of every seven years, in the, solemn, or the solemnity of the year of release, in the Feast of Tabernacles, when all Israel has come to appear before the Lord God, in the place, now it's just a few verses below what we just read. Remember that. In the place which he shall choose, and thou shalt read this law. Everybody say, read this law for all Israel in their hearing. In other words, you need to renew your mind. Gather the people together, men, women, and children, and stranger that is within thy gates, that they may hear and that they may learn. You need to hear and learn. You need to read and hear, hear and learn. Read and hear, hear, and learn. And fear the Lord your God, and observe to do all the words in his law. See, the fear of God is revealed by those who do it. Can I get an amen? amen. Not those who hear it. Hearing means nothing. Devils hear the word all day long. But they don't do it. There's between you and a devil, between a Christian and a devil, is they both hear the word, but only one does it. And there's a lot of devils sitting in church. Because the only difference between you and the devil, because James says, 
He that's not a doer here, not a doer, is deceived. Faith without corresponding action is dead. The devils hear the word and tremble, but they don't do it. Christians who don't do the word are like devils. Can I get an amen? Amen. Christians who won't do the word, hear it, but won't do it, are like devils. They're a distant cousin. I'm just kidding. But it is a bad thing to hear the word and not do it. Why? Because I'm going to show you next why. It is so important that we renew our minds. The most important things, if you're going to have God go before you, if you're going to have God be with you, if you're going to have God be on your side and not forsake you, nor fail you, you have to have a renewed mind. You have to have a renewed mind. Now look what it says. Let's jump up to verse 14 quickly. And it says, And there are children which have not known anything. (laughs) There's a lot of those around. That they may hear and learn to fear the Lord, your God, as long as you live in the land, whether ye go over Jordan to possess it. In other words, he says, every seventh year, you all sit there, we'll teach you, you learn it, you obey it, and get your kids to hear it, so they can learn it and obey it. And the Lord God said to Moses, Behold, the days approach that thou must die. Call Joshua and present yourself in the tabernacle of the congregation, that I may give him a charge. And Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves in the tabernacle of the congregation. And the Lord appeared in the tabernacle in a pillar and of a cloud, and the pillar of the cloud stood over the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord said unto Moses, Behold, thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, and this people will rise up and go a-whoring after gods of the strangers of the land, whither they go, to be among them, and will forsake me. God knew that they were going to forsake him. Wow. Then my anger shall be kindled against them in that day, and I will forsake them. You know, when I left my body, I went to, I started to go, I was going to go to graduate school at Princeton Theological Seminary, and the Lord uh, showed me that I wasn't supposed to do that that I was supposed to go straight to Rama, But I wanted to go to Princeton. I wanted an Ivy League degree, a graduate school Ivy League degree. That was just something I wanted to do. I wanted to have that. And the Lord rebuked me because one night I left my body, went out of my body, went straight down into total darkness, into the center of the earth, and God showed me what hell was like. Let me tell you something. You don't even want to know what it's like. You instantly go insane and can't stop screaming. And all you can do is hear yourself scream like an insane person. Somebody help me. You're so terrified and you so know that it's forever and there's no way back out. And I was in a total isolated place. It was horrible beyond anything you can imagine. And then all of a sudden, just like a death occurred in me, a resurrection occurred and I began to rise. And I came out of that place just like I went into it. And I literally came up through the earth just like Brother Hagen. It was exactly like Brother Hagen describes. And I came back and I came back into my room and came back into my body and woke up screaming. But as I was coming and, and, and when I got into my room and I stopped screaming, I can remember instantly the Lord said this. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, but if you go to Prince, if you go to that school and go your way, you will eventually forsake me. Guess I'm not going there, Lord. Where, where's my application for Rama? <laughs> and so, needless to say, I went to Rama. And I'm not a hard sell, but God really overstated his case, I think. No, I'm kidding, but I was probably just stubborn enough I needed that. 
God will never leave nor forsake you. And so then, God, and to make a long story short, then God tells Moses, I'm going to give you a little saying. What? Verse 19, now therefore write ye this song for you and teach it to the children of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the children of Israel. So he writes a song about how they were going to forsake him. So he would be justified when he forsook them. But some of them, it says, for, and, here, and here's why. He says, give them the song, and this is why. We're, we're, we're expediting this way down. We're down at verse 21, halfway through verse 21. It says, for I know their imagination, which they go about, even how before I have brought them into the land, which I swear. He says, I know their imaginations. I know they're going to forsake me because I can see into their mind and their imagination, and I know what these people think about. Right. So as a man thinks, so is he. You have got to get control of your imagination because even though God is with thee, even though God is for thee, even though God goes ahead of thee, if your imaginations don't get lined up with God, you can end up forsaking God. Excuse me, I was a theology student that prayed all night and I got away from what God's will was for my life. and started, And God told me, Years ago, that he would never forsake me, but that I would forsake him. Naturally, he is, is forsaking of us at that point. Now, when I look at that, I think, get a song, get it in their mouth and in their mind. That sounds a lot like Joshua 8. That sounds a lot like how we're supposed to renew our mind. Be, you know, it says, be not conformed to this world, but be renewed by the, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you might be able to prove that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You cannot do the good, the perfect and acceptable, perfect will of God until you have a renewed mind. You cannot do it unless you have a renewed mind. Can I get an amen? And that's why it says, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. But thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. Then thou shalt make thy ways prosperous, and thou shalt have good success. They were loved by God. God went before them. God was with them. God was for them. But because they had imaginations... The Bible says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. We're supposed to renew our mind. We're supposed to cast down imaginations. If you don't have control over your mind, it won't make any difference. He says, I will not forsake you. You will forsake him. It doesn't make any difference that he is for you. You'll, be, you'll not be for him. It doesn't make any difference that he goes before you. You will not follow after him. It doesn't make any difference that he is with you. You will not be with him. Right. Somebody say Amen. So all these promises that we have, we still have to renew our mind. There are people teaching today as if these promises are just going to automatically happen without a renewed mind. I am so sorry to tell you tonight, they won't happen unless you begin to renew your mind. You must renew your mind. But you know what? I renew my mind, and I put hope and trust in the renewing of my mind, so I know that my God goes before me. And I'm confident I don't have anything to worry because he'll never forsake me. See, the only thing you've got to be concerned about is will you forsake God? And how do you forsake God? You forsake renewing your mind. And you let imaginations come in and deceive you. But if you will choose to renew your mind, God will go before you. God will always be with you. And God is always for you. Can I get an amen? amen. Let's all stand up. We're going to be dismissed.